As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Guys and all the listeners, today we have a living legend with us. Vijay Prashad had the fortunate experience to read his works and be involved and watch his videos and lectures on YouTube. One thing I've learned about going through the British school system is how we must decenter and reimagine and be committed to relearning the things that we thought and we held to be as fact. I always make reference to the false dichotomy of Malcolm X being good, Martin Luther King being good, and Malcolm X being bad. Likewise, we have many other commonly held beliefs or understandings of things that are not quite accurate. So my first question is, when we say Marxism, what do we mean? It's a fair question. What do we mean when we say Marxism? Well, look, Marxism itself is something that develops out of the ideas of Karl Marx. He lived in Mm -hmm. the 19th century. It's a long time ago. But in the 19th century, Marx directly looked at what was going on around him. He understood this social force called capitalism, which developed amazingly the means, you know, the productive forces suddenly look around you and say, oh my God, we're building bridges, building railroads. The goods that we have produced are much more than used to be produced previously and so on. But then all these goods are being produced socially, being produced by the working people of the world. And yet at the same time, good God, inequality is rising. You know, people are Mm. poorer. How is it that the people who produce goods are not able to enjoy them? That was Marx's question. And he discovered through his analysis that it has something to do with what he called surplus value. It has something to do with what he called the rate of exploitation and so on. And the barrier to all this was private property, you know, and Marxism takes as its axiom this critique of capitalism. And then despite the fact that capitalism develops a great deal since the 19th century, this Mm -hmm. core issue remains the same. And so Marxism, of course, has developed. I mean, look, it's not the same as it was in Marx's time. We made developments trying to understand the nature of colonialism and capitalism and so on. And you can talk about that if you'd like. But the core idea of Marxism is this question of how is it possible that in a system that had produced so many goods and services, that produces so much food, for instance, you have hunger. How is it that we have enough food for people and yet people, billions of people are hungry? Well, what separates people from food is money. And Mm -hmm. they don't have money because they work and their surplus value is extracted and only a few people seem to amass vast amounts of money, whereas those who even work don't. And that essentially, if I can be, you know, put it in a thumbnail sketch, that's essentially Marxism. That was a beautiful overview of Marxism. So how does that then differ to when we say communism? Or is communism Marxism in praxis? Well, you see, communism is, is what the Marxists think will be the solution to capitalism. Um, Mm -hmm. Marx, in fact, says, you know, that communism is the solution to capitalism. Well, what is communism? Communism is a process. It's not Mm -hmm. a thing itself. It's a process. The idea is, can we 
produce a human society where private property doesn't divide people from each other and doesn't divide people from their means of creating a good life. Mm. A good life. That's what we want to create. Not, not, we don't want to create basic needs. We don't want to create whatever this is, equality. You know, we don't know. We want to create a good life. How do we create a good life for everybody? How do we mm. create a good life for everybody in a planet that is sustainable, where you're not killing the planet? And in a sense, the name for that society of a good life, the name for that society where we're not killing the planet, we have given that name and it's communism. That's what mm -hmm. communism is. It's the solution to capitalism. It's not a theory of why capitalism is wrong, but it's its solution. So the question is then, we always hear things like means of production, and you've mentioned twice now or more than twice, private property. What are these terms? Well, you see, there's one old tradition of, of social thought, idealistic mm -hmm. socialism or utopian socialism, which says, look, the key category here is that everybody should be equal, we should live in equality and so on. But the issue is that equality doesn't come without price. Equality doesn't mm. come without certain issues. Like, for instance, if you don't have electricity in the 21st century, you can't ha have equal rights. You know, yes. you can't just be equal because you're constitutionally equal. You know, in other words, yes. just because the constitution says that you and I are equal, that doesn't make us equal if you have electricity and I don't. You know, mm -hmm. so there's got to be a certain development of human society uh, to produce the means of equality. So the means of production, essentially, the previous forms of wealth that enable you to make more things you know for instance if you want to build you know a factory that creates i don't know electric wires you need yes. some wealth prior wealth to rent the land to build the factory you need to be able to create you know hire the machines or buy the machines you need to be able to hire labor hire raw material all that stuff it's the means of production that enable you to do that. And those things are also then the means of production. It's the means for you to produce the electric wire, which you then sell. Now, mm -hmm. that's the means of production. There are also social relations of production. There are some people who have some capital, which enables them to assemble the means of production. And there are other people who don't have capital, who can only sell their labor power, their ability to go and work in the factory. And that's mm. the gap between the bourgeoisie, who has some capital, and the proletariat. It's, it's a straightforward gap. And, you know, there are no complexities here. Some people have the capital to really put the means of production at play at work and yes. other people can only sell their labor power into as me as one of the means of production so that's what mm. these concepts refer to you know in essence and then okay now let's talk about the kind of things we hear growing up we hear that okay but communism or Marxism on paper is beautiful, but in practice, it doesn't work. We hear things like the USSR, Soviet Union. We hear people say, look, look at the killing Stalin did, look at the failings of Mao, maybe example, or look at the failings of Trotsky or Lenin. They go, when it's in practice, trying to bring about this theory ends up with the lots of deaths of people. How would you respond? Well, the first thing is the USSR only lasted for 70 years. You know, it, mm -hmm. it hasn't, didn't have such a long history and was not able to develop in a way that perhaps it might have. Secondly, the moment the revolution took place in October 1917, that's the October revolution, the moment that happened, 
it was just attacked ruthlessly you know by mm. it was invaded by various countries including great britain and so on so they never had a chance to actually develop in a way without all the stresses and strains third point the revolution took place in a backward poor country you know the russian empire mm. all the revolutions in fact took place in poor countries in mongolia in vietnam in china in cuba and so on there was no revolution in germany or in britain or in the united states or canada or france mm. or anywhere you know these happened in poor countries so the struggle to build socialism in a poor country it's a huge penalty you know you have to on the one side build the productive forces on the other you have to create social equality so it's not easy the task is great and difficult and complicated so I, you know people need to understand that it's not like a thing secondly building a socialist society out of capitalism it's not a tea party as we say you know <laughs> there will be of course violence why is there violence because you will be attacked i mean you know mm. cuba for instance the uh, moment the cuban revolution took place the united states tried to assault it until today tries to overthrow it so there yes. will be all kinds of strains and distortions that come in as a consequence of that you know Uh, but i would also like to say to people who say well what about the killings what about the killings i mean uh, you know in 1943 in british colonial india up to 3 million people died because of a famine in bengal 3 million people yes. and that wow. was a famine that was created because of colonial policy because you diverted food away from india in order to feed troops in europe you know that's 3 million people that's not even a joke you know wow. let's take the congo you know half the population yes. of the congo was wiped out by king leopold's belgium half the population yes. 6 to wow. 10 million people uh, let's talk about that you know and i'm not saying let's not talk about killings and elsewhere you know this is not what is sometimes called what aboutism this is a straightforward issue of are we going to face up to the fact that colonialism was a brutal vicious system that killed millions hundreds of millions of people perhaps including if you add in the people who were killed in the transatlantic trade in human beings yep. uh, if you add all that hundreds of millions of people killed but more specifically revolutions took place in poor countries if you want to judge it like that look at china and india china has just abolished poverty india is wallowing in poverty one was a revolutionary process the other one is total full blown capitalism which would you prefer mm now nah, so thank thanks for that that's that's very important to make that distinction and add that context to it okay how would you respond to some people then who say that well look at capitalism it's delivered prosperity to so many countries it's delivered prosperity yes but to which classes it's wrong to talk about prosperity to countries it's too general If you pick a country like India for instance about 700 million people in India that's half the population don't know when their next meal is coming so wow. India is a prosperous country it's a growing economy it's it, you know the growth rate is high the you know uh, wealth is in- increased and so on but it's a class society so some small population is taking a lot of the social wealth and a large section is not able to go to sleep at night with a full belly so you can't talk about countries being prosperous you know you just can't it's inaccurate you have to ask the mm. question which class is benefiting take the case of the united states of america it's a very rich country one of the richest countries in the world is it a rich country well well certain classes are benefiting you know during the pandemic us billionaires made you know 
half a billion dollars or something was made just in the period of the pandemic but the ordinary people were lining up in their cars at food banks now tell me is it accurate to talk about prosperous country rich country i don't think so you got to have an understanding by class otherwise you miss the big stories there i totally am in agreement with you but maybe some people will say then that okay but look what's wrong nowadays today we have the prospect of increasing our social mobility like none other before so they'll say and again i know this is very global north centric right now isn't it because they'll say look at us in the west we get a job we get a promotion we can get a good we can live a good life like why should i be bothered in some kind of another analysis or or, or an alternative which i think is totally wrong i think it's very selfish but i would like to hear your thoughts on that but the question again is who mm-hmm. even in your friends say that we have opportunities who who has opportunities where show me show me in in let's say great britain today how great it is i don't know but show me in great britain today who has opportunities what opportunities yes. tell me i, I don't I, uh, i'm i'm i mean actually, what they, what yeah. they might say oh i can get a degree i can get a masters now and then i get a good job i might start off with a 30k salary get a mortgage by 3 years time and have a house in 25 Okay fine now who's going to pay for your college you you take a debt isn't it yeah you go into debt then what happens yes. to you then you pay off I when do you pay working. it off uh, it takes a long time depends on what depends how long how what kind of job you get so let let's talk about opportunities you know you don't yes. have opportunities you are actually mortgaging your future to mm. make your own opportunity there you, the the system is not giving you any any opportunity you are mortgaging your future to go to college mm-hmm. you have no guarantee yes. of employment you have no yes. guarantee of housing where are you going to live you're going to live in london who's going to buy your house for oh, you oh no not in london yeah. <laughs> who's going london. to buy a house for you where are you <laughs> going to live you're going to live in 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 leeds what jobs are there in leeds tell me explain no, to me right. in leeds where you're going to get a job uh, after you've taken enormous debt to go to uh you know university in manchester tell me where what what are you talking about i mean here mm. here the 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 aspiration must be um brought together with reality i'm not saying that don't have aspirations but yes. let's marry aspirations to reality let's not have aspirations that are you know impractical totally i totally in agreement with you but again i just want to maybe unpack that a bit further let's say okay you become a school teacher for example you know you start renting you get a mortgage after 5 6 years i i i only say this because a lot of the time people speak about a, a revolution as it were and i and I'm, i'm talking about again the global north for example america and the uk particularly or europe and america people were saying i'm probably in agreement the material conditions are not there people with all the issues they are are still getting by quite okay on the average person no I don't know. I mean, I I actually don't I would not be so cavalier about this because again the question is what's the average person? Who is this average person that you speak of? Uh, are they yes. really average people? I mean, there was uh, you know the question must be always raised about let's say old deindustrialized parts of the UK, you know? True. Uh, what is the average person? We we're talking about a small section of people who work in finance who work in let's say you know um, the high level of 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 management that seem to be doing fine but then everybody else seems to be entering precarious employment what does it mean to have a future you know you're you're yes. a bike messenger in london who lives i don't know 2 hours outside the city because you can't afford to even pay rent in a one room apartment i mean yes what mm-hmm. what are we talking Absolutely. about you know I, i'm not telling people don't have aspirations i'm just saying 
can your aspirations please be linked to reality and i feel like what you're speaking to is the the, the lies that capitalism sells us you know capitalism literally sells a lot of people i mean me as a young black man you have this aspiration of oh i can be a billionaire one day and i think to myself i think you don't know how much a billion is and i i think you don't know how unlikely it is you will become a billionaire one day but we're talk but we're sold this lie yeah i mean look the thing is there's a big difference between making a living and becoming a billionaire you know i think it's pretty acceptable to say well hey listen i'm i'm going to be a billionaire well that's a aspiration okay fine you know i mean i'm not sure if i should wish you luck or i should uh, give you a <laughs> hug you know uh, but we're not talking about making a billionaire because that's unrealistic in the sense yes. that there are 7.7 billion people on the planet and it's uh, it's ridiculous to create a utopia where we can have 7.7 billionaires i don't even know what that would mean it's a ridiculous it's not practical it's not possible yes. that's the whole 1 billion type idea is an idea of of a class society few people mm-hmm. do well every we're talking about can you have a good life can you have a, yes. a a life of dignity can you have a life where you have enough means for your children and yourself to live with a certain kind of of gravity you know where you mm-hmm. have uh, you're grounded in the world and so on Well, yes. in that case, let's ask that question. And and there okay. again, capitalist societies are found wanting. I mean, in the middle of the pandemic, you know, health workers. Look at the UK. You know, NHS yes. workers to get a one percent raise. Percent. They were in fact promised two point something percent, and the end, the government said one percent. I mean, mm-hmm. let's look at that. You know, what is the average NHS nurse's salary in a major city? Uh, how are nhs nurses nurses in london living how are nhs nurses in you know newcastle living what's their life like uh, go take a look exactly. i mean these are essential workers these are people with permanent jobs by the way relatively you know these are not people who are working precarious jobs in one some of exactly. them are but not all but they are having a hard time make a life so the question is aha what do you believe your aspiration is and should it be grounded in reality or should it be merely utopia where you have some anecdotal evidence that somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody made a million do- uh, you know euros or whatever pounds yes. somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody but that's not a that's not should not you should not set your goals around that you know absolutely agreement with that people will say some people will say or oh, another charge of communism is they want everyone to be the same we have to be all doing the same thing I know that's not true but where does that even come from or, or why would you respond to that I don't even know how to respond to that that's the issue is that what does that even mean everybody will be doing the same thing uh, that's nonsense because we live in a complicated class society you know yes we live in also not just a class society we live in a complicated modern world we have different specializations and skills and we bring yes. different pieces of our talent to create a world in unity No nobody says that you're all going to do the same thing or live the same life or whatever it is the point is to emancipate ourselves from drudgery to have a, a shorter working day uh, to live a richer life and so on i i mean i, I don't know where that comes from honestly uh, <laughs> mamadou i don't even understand what that means because it's ridiculous i mean our socialism is a socialism that should be in the 21st century not in the 3rd century oh, bc okay you know yes. we are not trying to take people back to the 3rd century bc okay thank you <laughs> and what uh, what when we say neoliberalism what do we mean yeah so you know until about the 1970s and 80s there was a period where you know international capital 
was uh, enabled to have uh, some growth took place uh, largely mm-hmm. because of vast amount of public spending you know huge yes. keynesian spending so mm-hmm. there was a kind of growth period in that era then from the 1970s on there was a crisis of productivity uh, mm-hmm. around the world actually not just in in the advanced industrial countries there was a crisis of productivity for a series of reasons and you began mm-hmm. to see the wealthy classes you began to see the rich in many of these societies uh, basically uh, push an agenda where they say look i'm not prepared to pay taxes and and they go on a, what we consider a tax strike mm-hmm. from the 1970s onward and and i've been on strike for you know a couple of generations there's about 40 trillion dollars sitting sitting in illicit tax havens Wow. that's evidence of the tax strike they're refusing to pay tax on the other hand because of the crisis of capitalism and the slow refusal of of employers to take care of their workers there is a huge social crisis in society so the state had to come in and increase its social bill you know to mm. provide mental health care and so on and so forth well if you're not collecting taxes and the social crisis is increased and the state has to increase its interventions you have a huge budgetary pro- problem it's yes. in that budgetary crisis globally partly it's the third world debt crisis that the imf and others pushed this view that budget should be balanced and spending should be cut so rather than raise money through taxation raise money through privatizing state assets and so on so neoliberalism was a solution to the tax strike by the elite effectively wow. and the idea was that you know sell your assets off short term solutions to cover your municipal bills not to advance the goals of society but basically to have a balanced budget so that essentially is neoliberalism wow okay and when we say i know you mentioned it before i should have asked earlier what is the mean by private property we hear that a lot as well Yeah so n- nobody should understand the term private property to mean the clothes on your back you know um, yes <laughs> or like you know the books on your shelf or your your car or whatever it is you see the issue with property is it means two things one is the things i own which i mm-hmm. use and which i have as my assets like maybe if i am in an apartment or something and if yes. i have title to it that's my private property now this private property this kind like the clothes i own and so on this private property cannot make more money by itself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. this private property this apartment that i'm living in cannot then be necessarily by itself uh, used to make money mm-hmm. now i might use that apartment to uh, go to the bank and say this is my asset can i borrow some money that money that i borrow if it's large enough i then might invest in a factory now that quantum of money is known as capital that's not mm-hmm. money money is what i have in my bank account when i have a quantum of money that can be utilized to invest in something to make more money that amount of money is called capital and that mm-hmm. capital is private property that capital mm-hmm. is private property that those big assets that by themselves can generate more wealth that asset is private property you see if my home that i own let's say let's say i own a home and its value increases that's actually not the same as capital you know it's not exact because i'm living in the home 
now when i sell it then it has actually become a asset the only time something is a commodity is if it's traded you know if you're okay. going to live in a house it's not a traded asset it's a place where you live you know only so when, when you're polishing Abolishing mm-hmm. private property. Sorry to cut you off. When we say yes. abolishing private property, what are we abolishing? What 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 does that look like today? What's an example of private property we could point to and say this this shouldn't be private property? Well, let's take a, a couple of examples at different levels. For instance, do you really really need to privatize the rail system in Britain? Do you really need Virgin to have a private control over rails? Why not abolish mm-hmm. private control of of, of public transport? of any transportation mm-hmm. system and have it be in the public good democratically run you know maybe a parastatal entity that runs trains that runs you know subway system i mean look in london why should you have to buy tickets to ride the tube you yes. don't need to it should be just something that's there as the public good like walking on yes. the sidewalk you know it's yes. a, it, it the tube essentially is a faster way to walk on the sidewalk it should be yes. totally uh, you know it, when you go to hong kong hong kong because it's a hilly uh, city there are mm-hmm. very many places where instead of having to climb up a hill they have escalators you know like in a in an airport or in a mm-hmm. mall or whatever so you're it's a outdoor escalator you know you you, yes. you step on the escalator it has a roof and it takes you up the hill and you can exit at different streets and so on you don't have to buy a ticket to ride the escalator you just get on because it's funded democratically by taxation and so on so mm-hmm. here you don't need to private imagine if they privatized these escalators and every time you wanted to go up to your house you had to pay some money to go up to a private entity why i already pay taxes and these yes. are my social goods that i get as a consequence of taxes so one thing is there that this is we can decommodify a number of things we 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 can decommodify transportation we decommodify health we decommodify education and so on you don't have to pay for education that should be part of the public good you know that should be paid collectively uh, socially as through taxation and various other means Okay, I mean, so, everything yeah. you said is so sorry, sorry. Everything you said is so amazing. I will, I will let you carry on, but why do you think there's so much pushback against like Marxism and communism? Is it just Western propaganda? I mean, I I don't want to honestly. I don't want to speculate. <laughs> you should ask that question to those who who say that this is all nonsense. <laughs> you know, why should I go the other direction? And I'm giving you a certain viewpoint, right? Now yes. why should I say that other people don't agree that's bizarre you'll have to ask them why do you not agree do you understand what i mean <laughs> you're right uh, yes why should i do that that's not i think it's perfectly reasonable that's why i'm telling you you know yes so so <laughs> yeah. i can't answer it but just to finish this point about private property one yes. is decommodifying aspects of social life the other is in the productive sector mm-hmm. do you really need private control over electricity generation you know is that necessary i mean do you need the pharmaceutical industry for instance to be in the private sector because for instance most of the capital that a pharmaceutical company raises mm-hmm. most of the capital doesn't come from their own risk they don't take a risk they mm-hmm. are given capital by the state the government provides these pharmaceutical companies with money to do research whether it's through universities or they give them a direct grant to go and test medicines before it goes on the market and so on so there's no need mm-hmm. to have like you know the, the capital that's raised for a pharmaceutical company is often public money so why yes. is there a need then to have that be 
privately appropriated. You know, why not just have that in the public domain? I mean, I, I don't get it, right? So Absolutely. that's what I would say that uh, I would say very strongly that when we say abolish private property, we are saying abolish the private sector's use of public money for private appropriation. Thank you so much. We Western media will call the likes of AOC and Bernie Sanders socialists. And then some will say, no, they're social democrats. What's the difference between these two? And do you feel like the likes of AOC and Bernie Sanders actually water down, water down the definition of socialist? No, I mean, I, I, I don't actually accept that. I think that uh, at a time of weakness of the left movement, it's important to have the widest possible you know, approach to these questions. You know, people can disagree and that's fine, but we have to have a kind of comradely spirit. Uh, firstly, they self-designate as socialists. So who are we? There's no Vatican of the socialism where you excommunicate people. I find that attitude very uh, bad. People take a position you don't agree with. You can argue on the position. You can't say, oh, they are not real this or that. You know, wow. uh, you can argue on the positions. They may have a more conciliatory approach. That's okay. You know, let them go as far as they go. Uh, I don't condemn people because they are not identical to me. It's a totally undemocratic approach to the socialist tradition. So you've got to have a broad approach, you know. Jeremy Corbyn is a very serious and, and dignified person. He has his own approach. We'll walk with him as far as he goes and we may walk further than him. But we are not going to condemn him and say, you can't walk with me. That's ridiculous. You know, that's not a society I want to live in. I want to live in a democratic society where people of different views are respected. We, we build on views. We don't, you know, we are not, uh, again, we, we don't build our views to condemn or not condemn people. I, I just don't like that attitude. Personally, I don't like that. Yeah. Oh, I'm totally agreement with you. And I feel like sometimes maybe the kind of people on the left you see online do engage maybe a, sometimes a bit of cult personality worship, which is a bit unfortunate. I do have just three more questions. Uh, four, actually. First one is, I'm a, I'm a Muslim, and sometimes we hear people from who share my faith, who push back against Marxism. And I feel like, if I'm honest with you, a lot of the time, they actually haven't read Marx. But they say that Marxism worldview would abolish religion. I mean, well, it's not untrue that there is a tense relationship with religious traditions. But the question is, mm -hmm. what religious traditions? The problem is most of the religious traditions in the world are highly undemocratic in their own structures. Mm -hmm. So I would like to live in a world where even religious organizations are democratic, you know, where there is a accountability. I mean, why, why should you have somebody just because they are sanctified by faith be the permanent mm -hmm. leader of that faith, you know? What about so-called right to recall of an imam? You know, I mean, an imam yes. takes, a, takes a retrograde. I mean, we need to democratize our traditions, you know? Why should an imam be allowed to talk against homosexuality? Or why should an imam be allowed mm -hmm. to do this? Where is the... Who are they accountable to? Now, yes. they can turn around and say, I'm accountable to Allah. That's fine. But, I mean, you know, how, how are you... Where do you get the, the right to be in direct communication? You know, that is, to my mind, an apostatic, uh, that's not a correct approach, you know. And why is it then there are six different opinions in a faith? You know, where is the place of reasonable, rational discussion? So religion mm -hmm. must also confront rationality. It must also confront democracy. I think that's about where the Marxist tradition goes with religion, you know. Not necessarily going to abolish religion, but I would certainly abolish religion as it is today, where there's a lot of superstition peddled, 
where there's a lot of wrong and unscientific ideas peddled you know religion mm-hmm. should not see itself as outside science democracy and reason it should be committed to building traditions you know with these even these with other the, discourses yeah even with the sanctity of certain texts for example let's say the scripture says one thing why can't uh, wouldn't the argument or pushback be well where we don't agree with condemning certain people who we disagree with, but this is what our faith says for example I mean, what does it mean to say our faith says that you know i mean nobody has i mean it's very clear that this is why we have traditions like hermeneutics in every faith yes, you know exactly. uh, the study of texts and so on you know the text doesn't speak without the need of mediation uh, mm-hmm. n- no religious tradition if it's honest with itself says that the priest has an unmediated contact with god you know th- yes. that itself is a heretical claim You'll remember yes. that. What did Halaj say? Halaj said, "And Al-Haq. and what <laughs> yes. happened to Al Halaj? Al Halaj was then crucified because he yes. said, 'I am the truth.' Really, I mean, what gives you the right to be the truth? That to me is a troubling thing. Nobody is the truth. We are human beings struggling to be better people, and mm-hmm. I think religion is part of that struggle. But it doesn't get a free pass. I, I wouldn't say, 'Oh, okay, it's religious. I should respect it.' Why? Why should I respect a tradition if it's unwilling to?" interrogate its own premises its own attitudes and so on you know if 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 there is somebody who is let's say from with slightly different views how to engage it you know this is not the time for people of reason to practice taqiya when it comes to religion <laughs> uh, we need to be clear Absolutely. we need to be straightforward we need to say the truth and i'm telling you the truth i would say to my religious friends how do you interrogate your faith with in relationship to democracy and reason mm-hmm. no thank you that's beautiful you mention a lot about thomas sankara and patrice lumumba and many other pan african leaders my question is why do you feel these pan african leaders were attracted to marxism because it helped them advance the cause of their movement i mean they didn't come to marxism out of nostalgia or out of you know moscow gold or anything they mm-hmm. saw that the critique of imperialism the critique of capitalism was very well developed it was useful they must have found it useful we'll have to check with them but as far as i know in the writings particularly of sankara it was very clear to our dear comrade that there was some great element of truth in the marxist tradition and the marxist tradition was useful to sankara to advance the project in burkina faso so that's what mm-hmm. i think attracted them it was not some nostalgic or romantic thing you know it was the practicality of the marxist critique that was appealing yes i i often say that same thing with like the black panthers for example they just found the critique that worked for them so my final two questions from actually my friend i want to give him a shout out christian joseph who actually he's the one that led me to your work so mm-hmm. he asked is there an opportunity being presented to the third world given that america is an empire in economic decline despite its military dominance i mean it depends on what we mean in the third world you know because every country has different kinds of governments and then in a sense the movements are also not clear about where we stand and so on uh, right now the emergence of the chinese uh, project has certainly put pressure on the united states certainly mm-hmm. you know without a doubt and yes. this provides countries with the opportunity to take a kind of non-aligned approach again Yes. this opportunity must be taken nobody should ally fundamentally with china or fundamentally with the us i think this is an opportunity for a non aligned approach and in fact 
by the way the chinese government openly says that look you don't need to be like a like you know sign up for some alliance you need to have your own foreign policy you need mm. to make the most of whatever is available to you and so i would say it's an opportunity but countries should not fall prey to the us government's attempt to blackmail them into linking only with the us against uh, china i think that's the real issue on the table okay and last question was in the west the police the problem of police brutality has been brought to our attention within our context what is the what is the function of policing in the global south and how does it relate to what we've seen in the global north see again this has to do with which countries and what's the class alignment in a country in mm-hmm. some countries you you have the police which is basically a cognate of the working of the ruling class you know um mm-hmm. police in in a country like india for instance is very brutal when the farmers protests and so on uh, yes. in another country like in cuba for instance there's also a police force but it has a different class content you know you can't just mm-hmm. say a cab you know in some yes. universal <laughs> way i mean you know a cab universally no no you have to look at what is the class content of the state uh, how is mm-hmm. the state's approaching the people what is you know what does it understand and then the police has to be understood in that context so i would say there's no general theory of police globally you know it's all about the class situation okay thank you and the final final question some people um traditionally black nationalists who i am for the record in vehemently disagreement disagreement with those with black nationalists but then they level a critique at marxism and say that it's too class reductionist it doesn't take into consideration race well i have only one thing to say to you which is you should read the tricontinental dossier called dawn uh, mm-hmm. which goes into some of this and well i said i'll only say one thing but i'll say two <laughs> the second is that in marx's capital written in 1867 he has a line that i'd like people to reflect on he says that in that in capital written in 1867 mind you he mm-hmm. says that workers in white skin cannot be emancipated as long as workers in black skin are held in bondage that's in capital 1867 now you And tell that- me that it's class reductionist <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Guys, I will leave VJ Prashad's uh, social media in the description of this episode. Please like, comment, subscribe either on YouTube, Spotify or Apple Podcast. You're listening to Mamadou on the Malcolm Effect. Thank you so much. Thanks. My pleasure. Great to be with you.